Do you know what? I've noticed every problem in everyone's lives is that their answer is always just kids. I wonder why people still have them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've often we... wondered that myself, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. This is Straight Talking Mental Health. We're all about tackling everyday mental health issues. And the reason we're straight talking mental health is that we just cut to the point and tackle these issues, Ed. Uh, tissues we'll tackle these <laughs> tissues head on yes <laughs> fuck tissues <laughs> brought to you by Kleenex <laughs> uh, my name is Peter Dunn uh, the psychotherapist is Alan Clark and his firstborn male is Cameron Clark yay and this week we are straight talking generational trauma with Mark Wallen He's the author of the book. It didn't start with you. He's going to be on for a chat later on. And uh, generational trauma is something that I, it came up loads of times in the podcast. Yeah, didn't it? yeah, we've always touched on it. It's always yeah. there in in some guys. Yeah. The funny thing is, I can see loads of examples of it in society. You know, something I've never, I never knew existed mm. before we discussed it. You know, but I can see loads of examples from parents passing down the trauma to their kids to. You know, colonization, repression, famine in Ireland, you know, things that you thought mm-hmm. were in the past are actually still with us. You know, and Alan, you read uh, Mark's book recently, you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fraser had Fraser had mentioned when we had Fraser on a few weeks ago mm. uh, or a month ago now or whenever it was at this stage, he, he had mentioned the book. Um, it was something I was familiar with. You reached out. We were, we were blessed then that the. He was happy to come on, so really looking forward, really looking forward to the chat later on. And we kind of touched on it, as I said, in, in some semblance throughout the time of, you know, of me talking to clients saying, you know, and you've decided that it ends with you, you know, fucking goes no yeah, further. Yeah. You, you break that generational curse. Yeah. That these, and these patterns aren't repeated. One of the things I love is, you know, the, um, the that meme that went around, um, got to do with COVID, you know, passing on COVID, and mm. it's all these matchsticks, and oh, they're yeah. all lit. Yeah. And oh. you pull one matchstick out, and it doesn't like mm. that. For me, is the same with generational trauma. You know, it stops with just that one person not passing it on to yeah. the next generation. Yeah, you know, one person decides, nah, nah, not mm. no more. This is enough. Yeah, it's something like uh, I've never heard it before. I've heard of anxiety and depression and all this mm. kind of stuff, but. For me, generational trauma has to be up there. People need to know what it's about in order to know not to pass it on. Yeah. And, and, I mean, the, the other thing, and I won't speak, obviously I'll have Mark uh, speak on it, is uh, epigenetically. So this, these traumas and these stressors affect our DNA. So you can literally yes, be carrying this right. in, your, in, your, in your genetic makeup, stuff that has happened to your grandparents. How that all Yeah, stuff DNA. that happened in the famine. Yeah, it's... You know, mm. it's, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. So really, really looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. I won't remember be able the time, Pete, when we used to be excited what? about meeting rappers and stuff like you remember that? Uh yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And now it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I, I go to workshops or I go to conferences and I'm getting the book signed by the author and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> Throwing the when... up on stage. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about trauma for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they, ha- they actually they know me now so they just have me in a straight jacket <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Hannibal Lecter on a trolley been brought yeah, into yeah. the lecture hall you know <laughs> you get this one question nut. And, yeah. and, your, and your knickers are strapped on and you're in a fucking straight jacket <laughs> says Alan I ain't even wearing any <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to sit in it, but I can't, obviously. But uh, mm. um, one thing I'd love you to put to him later on is, mm. you know, how does he think we can stop COVID from being part of the generational trauma for people not even born yet? Mm. That'd be an interesting one, yeah. We'll see mm. the, how much this changes us. We yeah. all block it out and never talk about it once it's over. That's yeah. the Irish way, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ignore it. That's <laughs> what we um, do. Do you know what, lads? We'll just yep. wash it down with alcohol. Rinse it down with brown. <laughs> Have a drink, you'll be all right. <laughs> if, if we're ever able to do that again. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. We'll sit outside and rinse it down. <laughs> seen, a, seen a meme there of, in, you know, in years to come, you'll put your hand inside an old jacket and pull out a mask and go, oh, Jesus, remember that? <laughs> Getting PTSD. Good, good days. Yeah. <laughs> like the old war veterans. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of fucking masks, you never guess what happened to me there a couple of weeks ago. Oh. I, uh, I got diesel in the car and I said right I'm going to go in and pay for this so I keep my mask in my pocket I don't know do you do the same do you yeah. pop yeah. it in your pocket and, and uh, <laughs> with the mask out walked into petrol station I walked up to the counter and what I wanted to say to the woman behind the counter was uh, you know 30 diesel and pump 6 please but what I actually said was <coughs> and she kind of stands back and looks at me and I'm trying to wave the arms and go it's not COVID the only thing that's coming out was ah Ah. Turns out I inhaled the receipt. (laughs) (laughs) So I normally just shove my receipts in my pocket when I'm done with them. Except one of them obviously got into a mask and I never fucking copped it at all. So I inhaled the receipt. There you go. Be careful, people. It's a real thing nowadays. This is what you've been missing out on, folks. Kevin's just been pissed off at work. I, I'm, I'm just he glad to these shenanigans, broken horns, and inhaling receipts. I, I'm just so grateful it wasn't received from Duns because then I would be fucking dead. You know, <laughs> the Dun stores receipts you get, and they're like a fucking <laughs> manuscript, it's half a book, <laughs> yeah. still passing it. <laughs> Fuck yeah! <laughs> Peter may have to uh, dip out prematurely yeah. from the podcast yeah Jesus you still, have, yeah. you still have a foot of it hanging out of your mouth and there's a foot of it hanging out of your arse <laughs> Would, wouldn't it be hilarious wouldn't it be hilarious if when they asked me to have my 10 euro voucher for Duns I just got their scanner and went yeah there you go <laughs> yeah so be careful with their masks yeah, so that's that's the shit that happens with me. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was great to hear um, Jane last week. Yeah, she was good crack, wasn't she? She was a fantastic guest, yeah. yeah. Um, she's, um, she's a great story, you mm. know, really enjoyed it. And uh, she's a great sense of humor as well, yeah. doesn't she? I was worried about that. I was saying at the cam, I was saying the cam beforehand. I was like, oh, geez, I hope this isn't minus crack, like, you know. I don't know if the yeah. humor will carry, but she came on and straight away she was she was great, Craig. Unfortunately, Brilliant. there was a mix up on the time, so because she was in Seattle, we were meant to record at seven uh, thirty. So seven thirty, I'm here waiting. No sign. Twenty five to no sign. Twenty to. Yeah. I'll just pop an email just to go. Here you go. Just in case you didn't get the link, Jane. No. Get on to Jane's assistant. No. Ten days. I'm like. 
what the fuck's going on here? I'm like, oh, fuck oh, this. No. So I sat there, put the PlayStation on, <laughs> sitting there <laughs> waiting. And then, so what happened was there was a mix-up on the time with daylight savings. So 8.30 for her was what she thought it was uh, instead of 7.30. So we, we got going. We got going. Then uh, an hour later, I was just playing the PlayStation, oh. sitting waiting on her. And then she jumped on. I was like, oh, how's that? <laughs> 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 so I'd, re- I'd read out to Jane afterwards. And we'll definitely we have a couple of other topics in mind Brilliant. that we can cover in future. So we'll definitely have definitely have Jane back on it. That's great. A recurring guest. Yeah. It's almost like me. <laughs> <laughs> Have what we had you a think? recurring guest? We haven't had uh, anyone else. No. Uh, no. No. Yeah. Um, what did you think of our game? I thought it was very good. It was, it was, yeah. it was one, of, one of the ones I did actually listen back to. Only because I wasn't completely involved. I don't like listening back to stuff. No. Well, I, I don't need to. Like, I'm here in the middle of the conversation. I don't need to hear it again. Yeah, but you listen back and you're, you know, you're listening for different things and go, oh, Jesus, I did this. Or, I don't have that much time to be listening to my own conversations again. <laughs> it's the only time I have. I'm the only one that listens to me. <laughs> each, each episode I dedicate to myself. You've been away for a while, Pete. What, what have you thought of the guests we've had on? We had Jane, we had Lloyd. Who else have we had? We had um, Mike on around Grief. Yeah, the one around grief. Grief was interesting, all right. Uh, it was something we we wanted to cover, but I always thought grief was, you know, death of a loved one. Mm. But mm. grief, you know, being loss of a job, loss of uh, a relationship, loss of friends and all that. So, you know, yeah. it was very, very interesting, you know. And even, um, you know, especially loss of a job. I know we got a letter about it before. or not a letter, an email. Jesus, imagine we got letters. That'd be cool. <laughs> 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 but uh, we got an email about it. Um, it was a guy lost a job to COVID and missing his friends, missing the routine and everything. And, mm. and yeah, and you mentioned grief and I thought, wow, grief. I never thought grief would be, you know, and you never think of dealing with grief through loss of something. Mm. You know what I mean? It, deal with it via grief. Like how would you normally grieve somebody? Or can we grieve properly in Ireland? We drink, well, we joke yeah, about exactly. it and then we yeah. block it out. Yeah. Actually, I had a very interesting conversation with a client last night and we were talking about grief and there's been grief around uh, an issue from the past. And I was like, you know, I was like, because mm. I said to him, I was like, you know, this is something uh, marriage, you know, it was a long time, 17 years. And I was like, we've never talked about it, you know, and he's like, oh, might be something in that. I said, yeah, just go away, have a think about it. See, see how mm. it feels. And, you know, kind of come in and went, yeah, and we we spoke about everything that happened, and he's like, "I should be fucking feeling something around that, shouldn't I?" I was like, "Yeah, kind of should." So we were talking about emotional repression and stuff like that. But he said, "You know, the week after then he spoke about something completely different." I just said, "Look, just maybe consider if you've avoided what we touched on the previous week." So he went, and I I love working with him because he has a he's got a real analytic mind, and he'll go away and he'll consider it, and he'll, you know, he'll factor it all in, and. Mm. Uh, he's like, I was thinking about it, and then I remembered after a few funerals, the father says to me, "We don't grieve; we do our grieving later. It's our job to look after everyone else first, and mm. then we do our grieving." And he said, "But then we never get to fucking grieve because then no. it's too late, mm-hmm. and now I can't be grieving now because it's too late afterwards." And everyone's like, "What the fuck are you still grieving for?" So when yeah, these, you don't these just kind of messages, and again, something something Mark will be touching on of you know these these messages 
consciously, unconsciously, explicitly, implicitly that we receive from our parents. And I mean, that was that was a case where he was flat out told, "We we mm. do our we do our grieving later." And grief is anything we've we have a, a, an emotional attachment to. So it can be a job, mm. it can be it can be anything. You know, it can be yeah. As I look at it, if I had an emotional attachment to this microphone, if that microphone broke, that's mm. you know, there's a grieving process in that. But even I suppose for people whose parents have separated, you know, there's grief there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You that, you know you, that life does that a change you of life. Have again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Um, yeah. The only thing constant is change. All right. That's the one. That's the one. We mm. had Heather on as well. Heather was. Uh, did you hear a joke? Did you hear it last week? Took a week for the punchline <laughs> to land. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we we got there. <laughs> Oh, the the iPhone, the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very yeah. awkward. Um, yeah, no, that was a good. I really enjoyed them. Yeah, some great guests and uh, great guests next week as well. Yeah, we have. Yeah, I have to reach out just to confirm. I won't say anything just to mm-hmm. just yet, um, just to be safe. So I don't get told fucking shit on this podcast. Yeah, well, this this one's you not confirmed, to... so I can't confirm it. <laughs> if, uh, well, well, we're going. To, you know, we're kind of broadening out uh, the demographic. You know, Ireland, Ireland, and UK are neck and neck in the stats. Mm-hmm. You know, there, and then the US is our is our third biggest one, and uh, so we're going to hopefully, if I if I can just make it work timetable wise, we'll be talking about you know the experience of being black in America and the impact of that on. On mental health and we will mm-hmm. have a fellow podcaster hopefully to, to join us on that so i'll just confirm yeah, it that's, before that's major in terms of generational trauma as well oh, you know stop absolutely yeah, yeah. we've been getting yeah. a few international guests recently yeah heather was yeah. canadian and then jane's from she the was. states mm-hmm. yeah. that's right on the twitter we had a message from pierce um and this is the again this is the it can be disheartening you know, as we try to, and you hear me go on about it so often as we try to promote the podcast. Um, yeah. But it's it's things like this that uh, make it make it worthwhile. Um, we had a tweet from Pierce. And hi, guys, came across your podcast today. Uh, Pierce is in the UK. I'm really enjoying it and finding it very helpful. Unfortunately, I'm struggling with my mental health and I'm currently receiving treatment and have been for the past two weeks in hospital for it. Keep up the work. You're helping. I tweeted back to Pierce, telling him to look after himself and thanking him for his thanking him for his feedback. He says, Thanks, Alan. Your podcast are helping makes help me make sense of what's happening and how I can accept help and also help myself. Keep up the good work. I'm one of those that you talk about. If you can only help one person. That's brilliant. They're the wins. Yeah. You know, they're they're yeah, the wins. You're right. Absolutely. That's I, I can't wait for the day we get just a genuinely happy reply about our podcast they're going to oh you've helped me completely i'm i'm doing great now it's gonna it's gonna be really good for us we've had a few we had a few of them in the past yeah i think we're helping oh we're we're helping yeah we're we're in we're in the middle at the minute yeah i can't can't wait in the process yeah i can't wait till we get to like the end stage now for somebody and it's just all happy Mm. Yeah. yeah it'd be nice to hear that um started out listening to your podcast got help worked on it and you know now I'm in a good place. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great here. Oh, or we maybe, Paul, we, Paul. maybe we get all three stages. Mm. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. kind of yeah, walk possible. us through yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, I think Paul on Twitter has always been, you know, he, he has, he's constantly telling us how much he mm. helped and, and mm-hmm. you know, he's one of our biggest advocates on, on, on Twitter. Fair he's play to him. recommending need, us and great. We need people like that because we, um, do you know, we, we've charted in Ireland in the podcast, by the way. Did we? We are. We well, are yeah. number 36. There you go. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, number 36 oh. in terms of oh, mental nice. health. There you go. Nice one. No, oh, there yeah. you go. You probably can't see this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can't. But unfortunately, uh, I, I, we, are, we can see it a little bit. We we are down to 175 in Zimbabwe. Oh, so there you go. We need to concentrate on that a little okay, bit. We need to get we need to get someone from Zimbabwe on the on the podcast. We need <laughs> yeah. to boost Darren listenership Zimbabwe over there with a huge social media following. And <laughs> Robert Mugabe doing that lately. He's <laughs> like to pop on. Um, but yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, thirty six. Yeah, I'm happy with that. You know, and to be honest, we don't, we don't really promote the podcast. Uh, it no. costs a lot of money to promote podcasts yeah. in Ireland, so yeah, uh, really does, we're yeah. we're not for profit, so we would um, um, just do whatever we can. Any, well, neither, I was going to say neither of us any tits, but getting to middle age, probably have a little bit. We can't <laughs> put a bikini pick on to promote a podcast. We um, those lads jumping on. If somebody wants to, eye. it'd be great. Yeah, know? if you want we, to, if you want to serve that role for us, <laughs> we were hoping for that sponsorship from Sony, but now that we shit talked them so much, I don't think it's coming in anymore. <laughs> I think they've had enough for, of us. Go for, go for beats. <laughs> we aim for yeah. beats. See, if, as 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 we requested before, could Doctor Dre make um, uh, hearing aids? That'd be great. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> yeah, imagine. Yeah. Well, well, me and Dad both use Blue Yeti mics. Maybe we can get them to um, yeah. promote us. You know, this this is free advertisement here. Go for it, yeah. And you know, now thirty sixth in Ireland—that's a big deal for them. Yeah, oh, that's, that's a baby. <laughs> water, you know, yeah. um, we got um, uh, a comment from Maria in Great Britain. Did you see that one? By the way, I think it's on our our iTunes or something. I'll read it no. out again, just in case. Yeah. No, I haven't seen that one. Um, Still love this podcast, but finding the episodes are getting very long and getting longer. 45 to 60 minutes is about my attention span and would cover a day commuting. Beyond that is too long, in my opinion. Still genuinely good and insightful, (laughs) often with a dose of crack. Yes. Cammy, I win. I win. We need to shorten these podcasts. (laughs) You get one. Congratulations. (laughs) It just, it starts here. It's only been four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you've got you've got 53 episodes on me and I'm I'm taking over. <laughs> we need to chip away at this. Chip away at it gradually. Um yeah, so there you go. That's great. Thanks for that Maria. Uh, she gave us a rating. We don't get we notifications. Are... I think that's the problem with iTunes. We don't you don't get notifications. Maria, I didn't yeah. I didn't pay her, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> we are 4.9 stars out of 5. No, there you go. Yeah. Who didn't give us anyway. a 5? Yeah, um, I don't know, but it would bug you, wouldn't it? You know what, yeah. what happened at point one? Yeah. Fucking hell! Track them down. Yeah, <laughs> Maria uh, doesn't ex- have an email address that is Cameron Clark. But yeah, good to get the feedback. And uh, as we always yeah. say, look, if you do want to get in touch, we'd always love to hear from you, you especially when it's validating me. Yeah, I, absolutely. I like those ones. Oh, Mr. Fucking Billy Big Balls a few weeks ago. I'm confident. I don't need any of that. I don't need external validation. And he's like, yes, fucking yes, yes, yes. No, I, I don't need it from you. But yeah, yeah. But no, no, you're, no, you're super confident. I, I don't need it from you. <laughs> if you would love to validate Cameron, get in touch. We're on social media at SCRA Talking Pod. Get us on Facebook, Instagram, or and click onto our cool website, semhpodcast.com. And as we've seen in the past, by sharing these pages, uh, sharing the podcast, and telling your story as well, uh, you can help us reach more people. And the more we reach, the more we can help. Uh, any smiles and rhymes, lads? Who wants to go first? Holy shit, we're 25 minutes in and probably doing this now. <laughs> Holy yeah, fuck. No, 
There's a bit of chat. <laughs> Maria, Maria's not going to like this one. No, Maria. She's going to tune out. <laughs> well, we got pee back, so you know, we, need to, we need to give him the time he deserves. Cammy, you got, you got it. Well, I hope it's going to be I've one got, of your big smiles. Mine's all smiles this week. Oh, good. I, I got a car the other day. Yeah. Oh, well done. First nice car. What you get? What you get? I got a, an Opel Corsa. Oh, my first car as well. Well oh, done. snap. Yeah. Except mine was a 1992 box-shaped Corsa with a <laughs> manual. With a, do you remember that? With the manual Red, choke. It? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It had a manual. That. Cameron, you probably don't know what a choke is. No, he doesn't. But it, you only find him now on old lawnmowers. But you had yeah, to, before yeah. you start oh, the, the car, you had to pull the choke the pull out. string. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. You pull God. it out. You drive for about a minute and then you pop and it back in. Otherwise, it fucking guzzles your petrol. So there you go. But your Corsa doesn't have that, obviously. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no. Nice one. What year is it? Uh, 07. 07. Lovely. Mm. Grand old starter car, as they call yeah. it. Here, is, is, it, it, I, is insurance expensive? Not for this car, but for other cars I was looking at, it's very expensive. Mm. How much are you talking? Well, I'm 22 now, so it's, it, it's down a little bit. But if I was 21, say, I probably would have been about four grand. Wow. And it, when you get twenty, when you get over twenty one, then it kind of cuts it in nearly half. Yeah. Jeez, I paid three thousand seven hundred quid for my first year's insurance. Mine was fourteen hundred. Oh, no, which is grand, isn't it? And that was 1, with a full license. Seven hundred. Yeah. Mm. Mine was yeah. one thousand seven. My car cost me eight hundred euro. <laughs> you know, unreal. This this could be a rail itself. Anyone around around the world, you want to know what we're talking about? But insurance rates in Ireland are absolutely extortionate. That's colossal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the point that instead of going down, as happens with your no claims bonus, my insurance every year has gone up. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're paying more, more for your insurance than you are for your car. Oh yeah, in almost yeah. every instance. Oh, sure, look, my dad is driving 40 years, no claims, and it still goes up. Fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're going to be out cruising, Cammy? Yeah, I can't wait to go to McDonald's. Understand, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Lifts. Right through. <laughs> Lifts. <laughs> Lifts. <laughs> he doesn't know that one, do you, V? What's a lit? No, Lifts. <laughs> You put up an old Snapchat with just lifts and question mark. All right. And what do you do? You give somebody a lift. Huh? You give somebody a lift. Yeah, you you wait for somebody to reply saying they want to lift. And to. Oh, a young one. (laughs) Yeah. Right, okay. Is that how the kids are doing it nowadays? (laughs) Yes. How do we, I can? No. My my learner's license doesn't allow that. (laughs) Cammy's always uh, pretty secretive around his dating life. Fair enough. Yeah, you met my I family. Would be, I would be too. Like, <laughs> yeah, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a therapist father, the whole fucking thing would be analysed. <laughs> oh, I just, I just want you to be happy, man. That's all I want. No, you have That's to analyse it in a, an Irish way. Who's how, your father? What does yeah, he do? Where, where does he work? <laughs> How's it do going with your mom, Cam? Uh, we we had a fight there last week, and then it goes into a six-hour conversation where that fight is going to end our relationship. <laughs> Of course you don't mean me. Of course it's it's the rest of your family. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Denial. Um so a big smile to the car, Cam. Well done, congrats. Well done. Yeah, yeah, very brilliant. Well done. Lovely bit of independence. Any other smiles or or riles? I'm also getting vaccinated today. Oh lovely. So that's a smile. Isn't it funny though, when whenever you get or a vaccine or you're telling someone you're getting a vaccine, the next question is what are you getting? Which one are you getting? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what are you getting? Yeah. <laughs> did you, you had bought yours, Pete, did you? No, I just had the one. But funny enough, like, I noticed when, uh, 
I got Moderna. And anytime, you know, the question comes up, what did you get? I got Moderna. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Moderna, huh? You know, yeah, so even one, even eh? even around vaccines, we can have notions in this country. You were raised. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck um, off. AstraZeneca wasn't good enough for you. Oh, no, fucking no Pfizer. Ah, that's only for old people, don't. man. That's only for old people. <laughs> oh, I can't get AstraZeneca. <laughs> See, I had it in the first batch. I like because I was on oh, the early yeah. ones. Yeah, because oh, you were yeah. fucking old. Yeah. <laughs> no, because it was on the front line, you dickhead. And then, um, and then all the blood clot stuff came out, and they're like, "Oh shit, maybe we need to adjust the age on this." Maybe, yeah. maybe we need to go talk to all the old people who gave a vaccine to. That's what you got called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know what? You, I'll jump off the podcast and it'll be just a two ego. I didn't know that. What's that? I never know. I didn't know what that was. I never. Oh, you can agree. What? Just, I don't know. Uh, we'll make it up. It'll we'll find something else to talk about. Yeah. This is Straight Talking Man United. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. Alander. <laughs> Alander. Ah, oh, look. Retro, baby. You got the uh, oh, Jesus, very nice Cantona. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, yeah, I see that jersey. Yeah, Cantona or Paul Ince or Andre Konchelskis. Um, possibly Dennis Irwin, maybe. He's just got a name yeah. off the rest of the roster there with the yeah, yeah, yeah. 1992 <laughs> Premier League yeah. winning team. You need to thank yeah. you, need to thank P. Cam. It was P that you know gave us the gave us the pass to get you tickets. Oh, birthday. that's right, for that oh, Villa yeah. game. What yeah. a game! That was a great oh. game. I remember watching it at home going, fuck, they must be having a ball. Almost got launched off the top of the stands by Nicky. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. I'll never Makeda. forget the look yeah. of terror. Makeda. No, What's he doing it? now? Makeda, yeah, he yeah. scored the winning goal. It Ronaldo was, yeah. scored two. Last minute. That's what was Ronaldo, yeah. yeah. Lovely ball from Geeks, Nicky had a, Uncle Nicky had a few beers. So what was it? Was it your 10th birthday we brought you over? Yeah. We surprised you. Just in oh, the car. Cammy had no idea where he was going. Um, oh, Brilliant. Uh, in retrospect probably a little bit intimidating for a child <laughs> as he went Throwing on the, the, the car on the ferry yeah. Yeah. almost sorry he was getting that. kidnapped yeah sorry about that Cam <laughs> <laughs> access isn't going well in court so <laughs> I'm taking we're, him running away with you we're going abroad instead <laughs> Uncle Nicky had had a few beers we drove over on the ferry went to the match United and Villa wasn't it yeah yep yeah United scored Nicky grabbed Cameron and you know you're standing up and over the tears and yeah. nearly fucking knocked him over and this look of sheer terror <laughs> in the poor child's face <laughs> like he was recreating that Jeez. scene from the Lion King <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the scene at the start though, not the one where fucking not the one where Mufasa gets, the chuff, gets chucked off the ledge <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's so it's some atmosphere. I yeah. love it over there. Mm. I absolutely love it. I haven't been over there in five years, but uh, Jesus. I'd love Kids, to go back man. <laughs> as soon as I can. Yeah, pretty much it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's amazing. Absolutely. Amazing. So you know what? I've noticed every problem in everyone's lives is that their answer is always just kids. I wonder why people pretty still much. have them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've often wondered that myself, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Smiles and Royals, yeah. I'll share. I probably might be. I'm going to guess. Might it be one of yours as well, Bismarcky? Ah, poor Bismarcky. Tommy Royal, Bismarcky. Yeah. You, you got what I need. You're going to get a slap with copyright again. I've warned you about this. He's just a friend. (laughs) friend. No one's going to answer my chat, man. Well, I'll do the mic. That's because I keep warning you. (laughs) 
Yeah, that, that's, yeah. That's, that's me royal. Yeah, poor yeah, old Bismarck. Poor Bismarck. I was a legend of hip-hop. And... A few weeks ago when Gift the Gab died, we, we supported. Mm. It's like all the fucking rappers are not getting shot anymore, man. They're all just dying of diseases. Yeah, that's like it. That. Yeah, this is almost more sad. It's not as cool. Man, this is why he's a royal. Yeah, it's, not, mm. it's just like... Oh, At least it was cool before when they got shot. I was like, oh yeah, he's badass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now they're dying of like <laughs> old age. 50, 50 Cent's new album is going to be him getting diabetes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can find get, me with insulin, insulin shot or trying. <laughs> um, but do you, know, do you know what I enjoyed about it in a bit of a way? All the stories that have come out, you know, people on social media mm. uh, posting mm. up their, um, was like, their memories of him. And, you know, Questlove was talking about, he used to, he used to, you know, Questlove from The Roots, the drummer, mm. another legendary hip hop figure. Um, he used to ring Questlove and go, I bet you don't have this record. I bet you don't have this one. <laughs> and they'd be kind of battling each other going, you know, well, I can dig a better record than you and I kind of pushed yeah. them. But yeah, like, and even, uh, do you follow DJ Jazzy Jeff on yeah. Facebook or Instagram? And even yeah. he was caught up by, he put up a little video of um, Bismarcky beatboxing was, with his daughter. His daughter, that's yeah, right. And yeah, and she, she was, every time she seen him, her face just kind of lit up and, <laughs> you know, he said that he'd, he'd ring and go, hey, Jeff, how's things? Yeah, good. How's the family? Yeah, good. Click. And that'd be it. <laughs> you know, that'd be him just checking in with you, he said. But uh-huh. even he normally does like a lunchtime uh, DJ set on Facebook and Instagram, which is pretty cool. But Jeff? Yeah, he said he just can't mm. do it. Can't bring himself to do it lately. Well, just grief. Grief. Grief, yeah. 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 Did you just call DJ Jazzy Jeff Jeff? As if you know him on a first name basis. Of course I know him, Cameron. (laughs) Italian hip hop knows each other. Yeah, exactly. Do not. Oh, I forgot the the Calair Irish rappers. No, no, DJ Jazzy Jeff personally. Yeah. Well, six degrees of separation, like you know. So (laughs) we had had Guru. Guru must be just one away from Jeff. Ah, big time. Give the gap one away from Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. When you share the stage with these legends as we did, J Live as well. J Live and yeah, to be. Support you alive? Or did I just be? No, I met you alive. The fucker owes me a fiver, actually. (laughs) Why? Because I bought an album off him for 15 euro. I handed him 20 and he never gave me back change. The prick. (laughs) Jay Life, if you're listening to this, which I know you are, you owe me a fiver. I don't want it back. We're just making enemies on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We'll start Um, some beef. (laughs) So we've got got the government, Sony, (laughs) Harvey Norman, now Jay Life. She alive as well, yeah. Exactly, yeah. That's the uh, biz. Biz is me, is me royal. Me smile. F1 start tried something new this week, or last week rather, with the British Grand Prix. Started a sprint race for the first time in the history of the sport. Normally, once they got the boys out of the car and they just run. (laughs) The uh, normally Saturday is qualifying for the race, then on Sunday, so they change it and they're doing it for two other races this year. So the qualifying is on a Friday evening. And then your qualifying uh, is your starting position for the sprint race. And then the sprint race is 100 kilometers. So it's only about 15, 16 laps. And it's just, okay, all out, lads, there you go. Put on whatever tires you want and just go hell for leather there. So it's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, Somebody barking? Was, was it? I didn't hear a dog. Oh, I did hear somebody oh, yeah. banging a shovel. Ah, that's that could it. Have been what uh, maybe That's the burying the, the bodies. <laughs> well, let, let, let me uh, close my window one sec. Oh, you're grand. There's no panic. No panic. 
I like a bit of ambient noise. It's like the bin men. Do you remember the bin men used to come when we were <laughs> Every Thursday morning. Yeah, every Thursday. The yeah, they should be. Same Actually, they came week, this lads. morning, but they're, they're supposed to be collecting the organic bin now. So the better do, because oh, mine is full as fuck. <laughs> well, the ground behind my house getting torn up. I don't think you want to hear that. It's quite loud. Oh, fair All right. Yeah, and my dogs that. have made it their personal mission to eat the construction workers. So yeah. they're very upset. <laughs> so it's your maha burying the bodies. Because <laughs> your dog has no. lacerated if, someone's trachea. If, if my if my dogs got to them, there wouldn't be any bodies left. Yeah. <laughs> they are quite large. So um, the sprint race, the sprint race of yeah. Formula One. I don't know if they'll keep it. It seems to be mixed, but the accommodators enjoyed it. But apparently um they're trying to keep the sanctity of the race. So, you know, the Sunday was the race and the Grand Prix, and then Saturday they're just called it the sprint. They're not even calling it sprint race. So they're trying to trying to change up the format, trying to make it interesting for people. So that was me smile. I was like, oh That's yeah, cool. nice one for for Stappen one. Great. And then for Stappen got took out in the fucking first lap by Lewis Hamilton. That had me quite riled. Mm-hmm. You're not the only one G, was riled by that. Yeah. 51G was the force of impact as he hit Fuck. The, as he hit the tires. Yeah. Wow. And gets out and walks into the walks into the ambulance. Shook, very shook and winded, but mm. uh at least he was walking. That's a good sign. Yeah, but that's that's Formula One. That's the safety yeah. of having Formula One. Yeah. It's amazing. Did you team? ever did you ever see a Formula One car or done by one or a I was at the, or... I was at the race. I was at the Spanish Grand Prix. I got, I received it as a present, and I was like, "Oh, what? That's great. That's a lovely gift. Mm. Possibly the shittest race. <laughs> All right, <laughs> there's never any overtaking. It's a shit circuit. It just doesn't allow for any overtaking. So. Hamilton pissed off in front and then there was a safety car. I was like, oh, fucking nice one. Here we go. Mix it up towards the end of the race. Nah. Yeah, at least <laughs> he got yeah. to go. Yeah. But, did, but it's did interesting because as, as you're in the stands, it's like you can just see the gap building lap by lap by lap. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. There mm. it is. <laughs> got the nice weather though. Got yeah. The, oh, good. Yeah. Got to go to Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah, no, they're, the cars are tiny. Yeah, huge, yeah. but there, I, was, I sat beside um, uh, Ferrari uh, years ago, mm. and it's just tiny. You look at it, everything is as small yeah, as possible. Like, yeah. yeah, unreal and designed to break and break properly, as yeah. in come yeah. apart properly. You know, all carbon fiber. Yeah, they've got a shell. Yeah. They've got the monocoque that protects the driver. Um, so, so rather than blowing up, they just fall apart. Well, then mm. you had what happened—the freak accident with Roman Grosjean then last year, uh, where the just. Where it hit the barrier, it separated the fuel cell, the fuel cell mm. at that exact point. So that's why, that's why he went up in flames. But again, mm. walked away, is racing in yeah. America now. I think as well, you know, fantastic miracle, minor miracle. Yeah. How about yourself, Fee? Smiler, smiles and riles. Uh, let me see, smiles and riles. Uh, let's give you a rile. All right. Um, do you know what annoys me? And it's probably more suited towards the um, the episode we did around Irish state of mind. Hmm. In Ireland, when somebody's a bollocks, they're a bollocks. Yeah. You know, that's it. It's as simple as that. The guy's a bollocks. He's a, he's a useless bollocks. He's only this. But when he dies, uh, oh. uh, he's a heart of gold, in fairness to him. Well, I feel like I'm with everything. I, I think Fucking I'm, hell I, can I have a guess of what this is referring to. Uh, I think you, you probably some know. Some individuals. Yeah. Some individuals yeah. Uh, yeah. in an accident, in a, in a road traffic accident. Yeah. yeah. Or a road traffic yeah. collision because it wasn't a fucking accident. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, 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 kind of, that kind of reminded me of it. But, you know, mm. you have that in Ireland. You know, once a person dies, oh, they're a martyr. They were brilliant. They were, yeah. you know, yeah. 
No, he was. He was a fucking bollocks. <laughs> he was yeah. an absolute useless bastard. He did nothing but yeah. fucking cause a path of fucking destruction behind him. He was just a an prick. absolute Just because he's dead. Yeah, just because yeah. he's dead. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean he was fucking good. Oh, he was great to his mammy. He paid her 20 euro a week rent. Now, in yeah. fairness, you know, <laughs> and she fed him, she watered him, she clothed him and everything. Fuck off. He was a bollocks. Simple yeah. as. Yeah, I've that seen it so many me. times. With, yeah, I've seen it so many times with clients, even around their parents, where the parents might have, you know, physically or sexually abused them as as children, and everyone's coming up. Oh, he was the best. Oh, see your father there now. Oh, he was yeah, a yeah. saint of a man. And that's like, no, he fucking wasn't. You have fucking mm. no idea. You have no idea. Like, but then you know, particularly in Ireland, we have this. You know, you don't speak ill of the dead. Don't speak ill of the know, dead. Yeah. You, you can't speak. You can't say anything bad about them. Mm. Yeah, no they'll, they'll come back and haunt you <laughs> yeah but I mean that's that's your legacy you leave if you're a bollocks mm. you leave a legacy of being a bollocks you know Yeah, but you don't <laughs> that's it if you're a bollocks you leave a legacy of being oh he's lovely but that's the thing you know yeah. what I mean in Ireland we need to fucking get rid of it I remember Laura said that to me years ago you know she said uh, somebody somebody had passed away or whatever and I think it was her mother actually she went ah you know he wasn't a bad old <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter he was still a bollocks you know yeah. <laughs> and I went you have a point actually yeah you know again yeah. this is bred into us you know what I mean if somebody yeah. died oh the poor old thing the poor old devil you know now I feel sorry for anybody's fucking family or friends that are suffering from mm. the loss but at the end of the day bollocks was a bollocks Still call a bollocks. it as it is yeah, <laughs> yeah. um yeah that kind of that kind of pissed me off yeah so i uh, know what uh what made me smile was we um uh you know yourself kids say fucking everything and anything and all <laughs> sorts of stuff they come out with and everything they're just fucking gas but um <laughs> one of the things i tend to say to cormac um, which is probably what my parents have said to me, which is, where did I ever get you from? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Where did I ever where get you did from? Where get you from? Yeah. <laughs> I said it to him the other day, and he was sitting there, which was worse was he was in front of me, ma, and uh, at the time, and I said, I think Laura said to him, actually, where did we get you from? He just looked over and went, the bedroom. I look back. Jesus away, Christ. Oh, <laughs> Netflix and chill. He's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. He has a point. He has a point. Yeah. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> but the way he did it was so seriously. He just looked over <laughs> the bedroom and then looked away again. I was like, Jesus. Mic drop. <laughs> right, right message, wrong delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's gas. But uh, yeah, yeah, so that, that made me smile. But um, yeah, um, here's one thing that occurred to me as well. Did you ever have a front room? As in a sitting room? No, like a front room. No, like a room no. that, a room that a nobody thing, was allowed yeah. into. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah, we, the good room. Here we the call the, room. the sitting room yeah. the front room. In, um, in Dublin, they had the parlour. Up in Ballyfermic, they had the parlour. And the, and the old Ballyer heads. Yeah, had your parlour, which was the front room. Yeah. yeah, and nobody nobody was allowed into it. It oh, probably didn't no. have a telly. No, that's the good. That's all the good. The good. That's the good and everything. That's yeah. for when the priest called. You bring the priest yeah. into the parlor, or you know, or the guests <laughs> get to go in there. But if yeah. you went in there, you get a slap in the arse. Like yeah. you know. Now we never had yeah. one, but I've been in friends' houses where you've walked in and went, oh, "Wow, look at this place!" And then you just dragged out with fucking neck. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's um, like the fighting cutlery that's not allowed to be used. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we're talking about it there during the week but it's funny like you know and again another kind of a, an Irish thing does that does that sum us up in a way 
you know, when we bring people into our house, we bring them into the good room and show them the best side of us and all the good things. But, you know, care to see the fucking utility room that's full of clothes. If your mother knows there's somebody coming over, the house has yeah. to be spotless. Yeah, yeah, now you have it. It's all the persona. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, I, I get that a lot with women with children, you know, as mothers. That's, you know, they go in, they're going visiting, and obviously everyone is spend fucking seven hours cleaning the house to make sure mm-hmm. and the Gwyn's like jeez I walk into their house and it's fucking spotless mine looks like a tip mm. I was like yeah because they knew you were coming over like normally their fucking house looks like a tip yeah. of course it, it looks like their kids aren't even allowed to eat that day in case they, they make too much exactly. of a mess yeah. yeah yeah you know like years ago uh, there was obviously no mo- mobile phone so people just showed up at the door and was like yeah yeah come in now it's text are you around I'll call up to you yeah. We've 15 minutes to scrub and this place. There go, is go, go. mayhem for yeah. the next 15 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Opening the front door. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You, uh, you caught me oh, a grave. I was just sitting there watching telly there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so, excuse the mess. Excuse the mess. And you're walking yeah. in going, ah, you shine off the floor. Blinded. And blind you. Smell of Mr. Had a chance. I haven't yeah. had a chance to clean up today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we, we all kind of um, push everybody into the front room and show them the good side. All the persona, we show yeah. all the good stuff. Yeah. And funny enough, there was a guy I seen, uh, I think it was on TikTok or whatever, one of these motivational speakers or whatever. But he was he asked some guy in the crowd, he said, what do you drive? And the guy went, oh, BMW. Well, why do you drive a BMW? I was like, uh, uh. And he said, well, let me ask you, do you drive a BMW because you like the way it drives? Or do you like what people see when you're in a BMW? Yeah. Do people not see a yeah, wanker when you're in a BMW? Well, you kind of do. Or a drug dealer. One or the other. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I know a mate of mine is a BMW and uh, I can't say that about him. He's dead sound. But You can't um, or you won't. I can't and I won't. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's true. Like uh, The point he was making was just, you know, do you like, do you like the actual drive of the car? Or do you like the fact that people look at you and go oh he must have money you know, he must be successful <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it's funny actually you mentioned you know cleaning cleaning the house and all that kind of stuff and you know you, you people who struggle with that uh, mm. especially um, but new mothers as well mm. you know new mothers who are under pressure to uh, have the place looking spotless and having them looking spotless and everything and well the reality is it's fucking tough you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, but totally. um, yeah. there's a cool little poem called Dust If You Must. Do you ever hear must. that? I know, I know the one. Yeah, it's yeah. a good one. Do you know, Cammy? I'm not familiar. Do you want right. to recite I'm, it for us, RP? I, I shall recite. Okay, okay, but on your best poetry voice. And it's Heaney over here. <laughs> back straight, I don't shoulders even know back. Who that is. Take a deep breath. Read uh, into the diaphragm. Dust if you must, but wouldn't it be better to paint a picture or write a letter? Bake a cake or plant a seed. Ponder the difference between want and need. Dust if you must, but there's not much time. With rivers to swim and mountains to climb. Music to hear and books to read. Friends to cherish and life to lead. Dust if you must, but the world's out there. With the sun in your eyes and the wind in your hair. A flutter of snow, a shower of rain. This day will not come around again. Dust if you must, but bear in mind. Old age will come and it's not always kind. And when you go, and go you must, you yourself will make more dust. So this is what Lovely, we've come to now. 
I was just thinking we're, we're you're, only, you're only one yeah you're sharing that and the next thing is you're sharing a lost dog in Singapore post yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all that's the next step in that <laughs> now I, I am I am conscious of a potential copyright strike. I don't know what what the copyright laws are for poetry, <laughs> but I feel like we're on thin ice here. Ah, yeah, we'd be grand. We'd be grand. We don't give Irish. a fuck. Thirty six in Ireland. Come on, lads. Yeah. We we've got a standard to uphold. All smiles and riles. Done and dusted. Oh, it only, it only took an hour. <laughs> Maria, I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So on this week's Straight Talking Mental Health podcast, we are absolutely blessed. It's not, it's, I suppose it's pretty rare that I kind of fanboy or, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. But I have to say on this week, I am 100% looking forward to this. And the reason why is on the podcast, you know, we straight talk mental health and we are based in Ireland. A lot of what we talk about in Ireland, we talk about generational trauma. We've lived through the famine. We've lived through British colonialism. All of that kind of stuff, Catholic Church, guilt, all of that. So we've touched on generational trauma, inherited family trauma. And who better to talk to than the man who literally wrote the book on it, Mark Willin. Mark, uh, how are you? Hi, Alan. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you. We are we are absolutely blessed to have you this week. Where in the world are you at the moment, Mark? I'm in Northern California, my friend. I'm in a little town called Mount Shasta with a big mountain looking over over right where we're talking lovely absolutely lovely it is midday i understand there is it on on yeah, friday it sure is yeah as we record it's it's uh 8 p.m friday night where i am so i am currently stinking of barbecue smoke and sweat dripping down me as i left the barbecue and got you may sort that out i need to go and do this interview because <laughs> we have uh, it's like 22 degrees here mark so that's like nothing for you that's, oh, okay. that's probably morning but here it's like we're just not able for it <laughs> we're, no, we're, no, we're no good for these for these kind of temperatures <laughs> mark as i said you you're the man that literally wrote the book on it yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that book, about yeah, what we're talking I'm about? Glad to. I, I see Fantastic. myself as, a, as the guy with the flashlight. You know, I shine, <laughs> it, I shine it on the symptoms and the behaviors that, you know, we can't explain. Um, helping people, both clinicians and non-clinicians, recognize the importance of generational trauma. And then its biological effects on subsequent generations. You know, I've developed a mm. way as I'm sure we'll talk about, of looking at trauma language, uh, helping us. I teach people how to become detectives of this trauma mm. language and, mm. you know, to uncover uh, what stems from our traumatic history, traumatic events in our family history, um, or, or what comes from maybe a break in the attachment with our mom in childhood. Uh, but basically, to explain the mysteries we live with, which is why I wrote this book, you know, many mm. of us are walking around with unexplained fears, unexplained anxiety, uh, anxiety maybe that strikes suddenly as soon as, uh, you know, we hit a certain age or have a similar event in our, in our life that's similar mm. to an event in our grandparents' life and then, or, or a depression that we never get to the bottom of. We have the symptoms, but they, you know, they may not be ours. They may have originated like the title of the book, It Didn't Start With You, um, mm. they may have originated, um, uh, back with our, the people who initially experienced it, because what we're learning is the feelings and the sensations, um, specifically the stress response, the way mm. the, the genes express, this can pass forward to the children 
and the grandchildren affecting them in a similar way, even though they didn't personally experience the trauma. Yeah. Um, I had a chat with a client recently, uh, Mark, and I I spoke about this of, you know, this anxiety, et cetera. It it might not even stem with us. So exactly as you said there of how, you know, this can originate with our parents and this can originate with our grandparents. And I was was, uh, uh, explaining epigenetics and all of this kind of thing. She was very skeptical. Ah. She was very, I was like, I'm like, I'm telling you, this thing literally changes your DNA. I said, we're going to have Mark Willen on the, on the podcast. I said, he can tell you. Ah. Can, can you tell us about that from the, yeah, you know, as you say, from that genetic piece, Mark? Oh, I don't think people can, can believe this. We're, we're talking about science here, you know, uh, when a trauma mm. happens. And this is, this is our basic 101 trauma physiology. Um, when a trauma happens, it changes us. Literally, it causes a chemical change in our DNA, and this can change how our genes function, sometimes for generations. Um, Technically, after this um, terrible event, uh, a chemical tag will attach to our DNA and tell the cells to use or ignore certain Mm. genes, um, enabling us to better deal with what just happened. And then the way our genes are affected change how how, how we act or feel, for example, um, we can become sensitive or reactive to situations that are similar to the original trauma, e- even if that trauma occurred in a past generation, so that we in this generation have a better chance of surviving it. I'll give you an example. Um, mm. If our grandparents, you know, came from a war-torn country, you know, there's, the, you know, maybe even what happened in your country a while mm. back, you know, shootings, bombs going off, uh, bullets flying, uniformed men uh, lining people up in the square, taking people away. Um, our grandparents, they could develop a, uh, a skill set that they would then pass forward. And the skill set could be anything from uh, sharper reflexes, um, quicker reaction times, uh, startle reactions, reactions to the violence. Um, to help them survive the trauma and ultimately now to help the descendants survive the trauma. So, but the problem is um, here we are born later in calmer times um, with an inherited stress response with the dials set to 10 Mm. prepared for a catastrophe that, that never arrives. And we rarely make the link that our anxiety, our depression, our hypervigilance is connected mm. to our parents and our grandparents. We just think we're wired this way. Mm. So, so from that kind of point of view, Mark, so uh, I know you speak in the book, I know you speak a lot around Holocaust survivors, etc. You know, as we say, Ireland and its own checkered past with sectarianism, etc. Um, so I think kind of what you're saying there, so if we take our grandparents, so our grandparents experienced some severe trauma, threat to life or witnessing murders or anything that may be that literally changes their dna that changes our it genetic can. code it, it can change yes. that code and then we perhaps walk around with i think as i hear in the background a smoke alarm we walk around as we talked about the amygdala of being that smoke alarm so we walk around perhaps with a hypersensitive amygdala just that's exactly which has right. adapted from the experiences that our grandparents have had that, that's or great exactly right had. so the memories of traumas wow. Are, are imprinted in our parents and grandparents. 
sperm cells, and egg cells. And then this information passes forward to us. And then as a result, we're born with altered brains um, that are preparing us biologically to cope with the traumas that are similar to the ones they experienced. So yeah, we're getting this skill set. We're getting this whole adaptive altered brain strategy that is physiologic. Um, and you know, the idea is to separate out what is ours and what is theirs, because many of us don't have a clue. We don't look in the family history. We don't look at our early childhood. Uh, we don't dig deep enough to see how uh, we're being affected from traumas, either ones that we've inherited or ones that got re-engineered with us when we were small. Mm. And as you said, I mean, this is this is scientific. Oh, I mean, this isn't, you know, we're not talking Freudian, the unconscious. We don't kind of really no. understand it, but it's there. I mean, this is scientific. Oh, absolutely. It's there. It's you fact. Know, the, 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 the science started to roll in about 15 years ago. And that, mm. that's, it's, a, it's a brand new field, but it starts with some researchers. There's one, uh, Rachel Yehuda at Mount Sinai Medical School. She's working with Holocaust survivors. And she's making this discovery that they're born with the same trauma symptoms as their parents. And now she's looking physiologically, and she's seeing specifically the low levels of cortisol, the stress hormone that gets us back to normal after a stressful event. She's also the one that does that study um, uh, around the World Trade Center when it was attacked during 9-11. She looked at mothers who were pregnant, uh, who went on to develop PTSD, who had babies um, that, were, that went on to develop PTSD. Basically, these babies were uh, smaller for their gestational age. They're born with 16 genes that express differently than other babies. Um, and, and she tells us that you and I um, are three times more likely to have post-traumatic stress disorder if one of our parents had PTSD. And then as a result, we're likely to struggle with anxiety and depression. Um, just a few years ago, she was looking at certain genes, one of them, the FKBP5 gene, and found out that the um, traumatized survivors and their children shared the exact same gene changes in the exact same region of the very same gene, the FKBP5 gene, which is a, a gene involved in um, uh, stress regulation and depressive disorders. And, you know, these patterns, they can be observed for uh, uh, two generations in humans easily, but studies with mice can show uh, that these patterns can be observed for three generations. The reason they look at mice is mice and humans share a similar genetic makeup. Over 90% mm. of the genes in humans have counterparts in mice with over 80% being identical. Uh, and the reason they look at mice is you can get a generation in 12 to 20 weeks, whereas in humans, mm. um, it takes 12 to 20 years. And the science just really started coming to the surface about 15 years ago. Uh, mm. I'll, I'll tell an interesting study done at Emory Medical School in Atlanta. They took male mice and they made them afraid of a particular scent a cherry blossom-like scent. So every mm. time the mice smelled the scent, they shocked them. And right away in that first generation, we're not even looking at the next generations yet. They found changes in the blood, the brain, and the sperm. Specifically in the brain, the brains became enlarged. There were enlarged areas where a greater amount of smell receptors existed so the mice could detect this scent 
at lesser concentrations. Um, in other words, their brains had epigenetically adapted to, to protect them. So the researchers said, okay, let's see what happens if we take some of that sperm where we know it's imprinted and in, in, in impregnate females that were not shocked. And this is what they did. Yeah. And the amazing thing is what took place in the second and third generation. The, the pups and the grandpups became jumpy and jittery just from smelling the smell without, without experience. They had inherited the stress response without directly experiencing the trauma. And that's us. I mean, here mm. we are walking around uh, with certain triggers, uh, getting married, and all of a sudden we feel trapped, like our grandmother, or moving to a new place, and all of a sudden we're depressed, like our our uh, ancestors that were forced out of their homeland, kicked out of their homeland, persecuted. Um, or, you know, there's many, uh, well, I'll talk about this later, but there are many specific triggering events that can s precede our symptoms. So the mice... The pups have never experienced this scent before. React. That's exactly because right. of what the grandparent went through. Oh yeah, and, and one of the most replicated studies in all of epigenetics is something that we go through. Um, they they take baby mice and they separate them from their mothers for even just a short period of time. Alan, this is mm. this is amazing, and they can observe the physiologic, the molecular, the chemical effects for three generations. Um, I have this one passage in my book that I have it pretty much memorized, but, but I'll, I'll tell it because it's so... <laughs> I got to tell you, Mark, I've gone pretty heavy with the highlighter on your book. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably more blue bits than white bits as it stands. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Thank you. But this, this, one, this one passage, you know, I, I think I'll just pretty much say it. So there's this one study where researchers prevented females for nurturing their pups for just up to three hours a day. That's all that all they took them away for. And that was only, again, for the first two weeks in life. So not much. Mm. Later in life, these pups um, started to exhibit behaviors similar to what we call depression in humans. And that we're talking three generations worth. You know, three generations that you could see this. And the symptoms seemed to worsen when the mice aged. And then surprisingly, in this study, um, some of the males didn't express the depressive behaviors themselves, but appeared to epigenetically transmit these behavioral offspring, behavioral changes to their female offspring, to their daughters. That would be like fathers going off to war or fathers experiencing a bombing in Ireland during <clears throat> the, the, the occupations and um, mm. coming back, you know, the, the fathers coming back numb from the trauma and the daughters mm. carrying their father's fight, flight, or freeze response, his shaking, his terror, his shutdown. And it's not mm. just fathers and daughters because, you know, what we know is trauma, unfortunately, is an equal opportunity employer. And male <laughs> children and female children are equally impacted by a father or a mother's trauma. And, and there's new studies released every week about this. I, I put the new ones on my Facebook page, Mark Willen, Facebook slash Mark Willen, whatever. Yeah, I'll tell two studies, and then I think I think then we'll have the science, um, a clear understanding. Yeah, yeah. There's this one study in Journal of American Medicine Psychiatry, JAMA Psychiatry, that followed mothers who suffered trauma as children 
and found that their daughters were more likely to, to struggle with um, depression and bipolar, bipolar disorder. And then there's a recent Tufts University that found that men who suffered trauma as children were able to pass their anxiety on to their children through their sperm. And why this recent study is significant, because it's the first study to show that human sperm mirrors the same changes, the same non-coding RNA changes found in the mice that were traumatized as pups in the lab. You know, one, one of the things you mentioned there of, you know, just that brief separation in the in the mice and the pups was enough to change. I think what, and I see it with a lot of clients, and I know, it, again, it's a difficult thing for people to comprehend that. Well, I have no memory of that. You know, there's no cognitive memory, but, you know, I mean, what we're talking about, maybe age four, maybe cognitive memory kind of comes on. Prior to that, there's probably not a lot that we can remember. So, so we can have these experiences yes, pre-memory. That's exactly right. And just like you're saying, we... You know, we have somatic memory. So, mm. so if we think about it, the events we're probably most affected by are the ones we don't remember. Uh, mm. uh, okay, so again, back to the science. Um, our neural tube and our neural groove, that which will become our nervous system, is already laid down in the fetus after three weeks, 20 days, as is our heart. But we don't have, as you were saying, cognitive memory for two, three, four years. But we mm. certainly have a, a, a felt sense. We certainly have a somatic memory that's happening. And um, why this is significant is because many of the events that we can't remember are causing our amygdala to fire and causing us to shrink or to tighten or to numb out um, and, and causing a break in the attachment from things that from events that we don't remember. What mm. events are we talking about? Um, events that happen in the womb, um, uh, in utero, maybe a baby died before us and we're the next baby. This baby died stillborn or miscarried and our mother was terrified we would die too. So instead of a warm, fuzzy atone, uh, attunement, she's mm. feeling terrified and fearful. What's wrong? I don't feel the baby kicking. What if I lose this baby too? That can break the bond. Or even earlier, what if, what if our mother wasn't going to keep us for the first month or two? And um, that can break the bond. Or our parents were fighting or drinking or cheating or separating mm. or dad was an alcoholic or mom wasn't feeling supportive, supported by him or, or um, she didn't love him. She felt trapped in the marriage or she was worried about money food, shelter, um, or, or maybe her brother died, her father died, her mother died, her best friend died, war is going on, bombings are happening. All of this, Alan, translates into cortisol, and mm. it's caustic to the fetus. In fact, fetuses develop, I talk about this in the book, a cortisol-busting enzyme to deal with their mother's stress. So it's not just events in utero, it's events during birth, events during labor, events during mm. delivery, events during infancy, childhood. I mean, many things. Her, her body could have uh, rejected the pregnancy. It could have been a difficult labor, a difficult delivery. Mm. There could have been forceps. We could have been adopted. We were in an incubator. I could go on and on. We were in the hospital. She was in the hospital. Our parents took a vacation too early. They were divorced. We had to go back, 
go to our mums for a week, our dads for a week, our mums. But it was too early to leave our mum. Mm. And, and I mean, there's so many things. I mean, the list goes mm. on. Did our mother feel chosen by our father? Did he like her mm. or did he just have to marry her? Did she feel trapped? Did she feel lonely? Was she being supported? You know, did she get enough from her mother to give us mm. enough? So there's so many things we have to consider, both in terms of attachment and also uh, in terms of generational trauma. Yeah. I mean, so there, you know, even from that example, I'm saying, you know, stuff can happen, you know, pre three or four that we don't remember. That's right. And what you're saying is, no, no, stuff can happen in the womb. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, uh, when, when, when I'm taking a case, when I teach my students to take a case, um, we're looking at even prior to conception. What were your parent? What was the relationship like with your parents? Mm. Did he want to marry her? Did she want to marry him? Did he feel like he settled? Did she feel like she settled? Were they forced to marry? Were they having financial troubles? Was she in love with someone mm. else? All of this. All of this. Wow, and I think that's I think that's going to be particularly prevalent in Ireland in a in a country that was so heavily ruled by the Catholic Church of you know, sex outside of marriage, you know, all of that kind of thing. So, I mean, so many parents had to marry because of that for sex out of wedlock. Someone got pregnant and then out of that into mother and baby homes, the stress on the, on the mother in that environment, passed on to the child, passed on to our, I suppose at this age, kind of our grandmothers, which has affected anyone living today. Absolutely. So even if our mother wasn't, our grandmother was in a mother and baby home or was the victim of this, we we still feel this. Absolutely. In fact, um, you know, many times we work with somebody and they have a great relationship with their mom and their dad, but grandma was adopted or, uh, or, or you know, grandfather was in foster care. So the, mm. So we're inheriting their stress response of their experience and we can feel we're not getting enough from our mother when when it was our grandmother who didn't get anything from her mother so you know we have to look around we have to become detectives and poke around to see where it started so it's not just us it's not just something that we can't remember absolutely and that's (laughs) that's what i see in therapy all the time mm. people saying but i remember when i was eight you know my mother left me at the mall for 20 minutes (laughs) it's Mm. it's not that yeah it's not that you know um, yeah. it's, it's earlier. If she left you, if she left you, uh, for 20 minutes, there had to be earlier events that maybe aren't remembered where you were left emotionally or physically. And this is a triggering event that, um, so we often try to work with only what we remember. And I find a large part of working with people is to work with what's either has been inherited or what we don't cognitively remember, but we certainly somatically remember, and it's revealed in our symptoms, Alan. It's revealed in our trauma language. You know, in the book, I tell people, uh, I tell people, uh, I ask them certain questions to, mm. um, uh, for example, one of the questions I ask people in the book is, you know, tell me your worst fear. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? And that language right there will tell us if it's attachment trauma or generational trauma. So if somebody mm. says, for example, I'll be left, I'll be abandoned, I won't mm. matter, I won't be important, I'll be annihilated, I'll be, I won't exist, I'll be helpless, mm. powerless, that's attachment language. And if they say something like, I'll harm a child, 
I'll go crazy. I'll be locked up. I'll do something mm-hmm. terrible. I'll go to jail. It'll all be my fault. That's generational language. So yeah. you see the difference. There's two types of yeah. trauma language that I have trapped mm. people become detectives of to, to, to be able to place their trauma into the proper context. Because the mind likes to know, doesn't have to, but it likes to know what happened. Why am I like this? Yeah. And I think that's that's a large part of therapy is understanding that. I say that to clients, you know, when we can create that narrative, we can we can have that healing around it. You know, we the brain loves to make sense of everything. Absolutely. It likes to have it in little pigeonhole, you know, we got it all boxed off. That's nice now, that's sorted, that's all oh, that's there, that's that's easy. When we don't, you know, that, that causes that's a lot well, of distress. Even when we don't, we don't know, we're adopted. Our parents are deceased, we don't mm. know what happened. We can still heal the brain. By doing the practices so you know I, I the way I see it you know as a clinician I see that people come with an issue and the issue is anxiety or insomnia or depression or their relationships are failing and um, that issue springs from uh, strategies and defenses generally you know we've uh, we've had a break in the attachment so we've defended and we tightened and we think we're going to be left or we leave people before we're left. In other words, we're f- somewhere, there are fragmentations in our core. We've fragmented, we've split off, we've shut down, we've numbed out. And I see the work nowadays in my 60s, I see the work as um, uh, integrating these fragmentations back into our core so we can heal our brain. Some practice that allows us to um, show the amygdala hey, I'm inside, I'm in here, you don't have to send mm-hmm. out alarm signals to the alarm towers of our body telling us to numb out, shut down, uh, be cold, um, put up a wall. I'm in here and I'm doing this work of integrating. Yeah. yeah you touched on a little bit there, Mark, around the, the trauma language and, and the core language. Um, and this, for, for, for listeners, you know, what's, what's the sort of, uh, how how can they kind of identify? Oh, actually, is there a little bit of inherited trauma here? Is is this not mine? Yeah, good is, is there anything they can do? A good question. Yeah. So look, we know from trauma physiology when a trauma happens, it changes how our DNA expresses. We know that. But what I've discovered is that when a trauma happens, it leaves clues behind in, in the form of emotionally charged words and sentences that form a breadcrumb trail. And when we learn Mm. how to follow this breadcrumb trail, it's like finding missing pieces of the puzzle. And then you find the big piece, which allows the whole picture to come into view and finally gives us a context um, for why we feel the way we feel. And it's essential that we learn to listen for this trauma language because we know from trauma theory, um, when a traumatic event happens, significant information will bypass the frontal lobes. So the experience of exactly what just happened in this trauma can't be named or ordered through words because our language centers mm. are compromised. And without mm. language, you know, our experiences of the trauma, <clears throat> they get stored, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> our experiences get stored as fragments <clears throat> of memory, fragments of body sensations, fragments of language, which we'll talk about, fragments of images, fragments of emotions. It's like the mind um, <clears throat> disperses. And essential elements get separated. So we, we lose the story 
and we never complete the healing, mm. which is the issue. But <clears throat> what I found is these pieces aren't lost, Alan. They've simply been rerouted and can resurface in our verbal and nonverbal trauma language. So when it's verbal, it's what I said earlier. We carry this verbal language like, I'll be left. Like, what's the worst thing can happen to you in a relationship? I'll be left. I'm always left. Or I leave everybody. Mm. Or I'll be abandoned. Or, or I won't be heard. I won't be seen. I won't exist. I'll be treated like I won't exist. And what they're really talking about is abandonment language. But then sometimes mm. they give verbal generational language. Like, I'll hurt a child. And I'll say, did you ever hurt a child? And they'll say, no. And I'll say, who in your family accidentally or purposely hurt a child? And they'll go, mm. oh. and then they, the light bulb comes. So that's verbal trauma language. But there's also nonverbal trauma language that we're looking for. We're looking for the physical and emotional symptoms that show up after a certain unsettling event. Um, we're looking for the fears, um, uh, the anxieties that strike suddenly when we reach a certain age. Often it's the mm. same age that something terrible happened in our family history, something traumatic. We're looking for um, uh, de our depression or our destructive behaviors that show up or arise right after a certain situation we experience that's similar to a trauma in our family history. Uh, this nonverbal trauma language also gets mirrored in our relationship struggles, who we choose, how we let ourselves be treated, how we treat others. It also shows up in how we deal with money, how we deal with success. All of this forms a breadcrumb, a breadcrumb mm. trail that we need to follow. I, I give an I give an example here, Mark, and perhaps you could. Um, it's something that came to me through through your book. Uh, you mentioned there, kind of what you know, what's your biggest fear, and this kind of gives a kind of indicator around our core language and stuff like that. Uh, I remember someone asking me before, "What's what's your biggest fear?" And I remember saying that I die alone. That was that was my that was at the time I said that was my biggest fear. Now I don't know if it's related. Again, you perhaps maybe within the language you can hear, but just recently I found out something I never knew before that my grandmother and all her siblings were put into care. Their, their mother put them, put them into uh, my, my paternal grandmother. They were all put into to care. Apparently their, their, their mother couldn't deal with them, wasn't able to handle them or something like that. Would that be an example absolutely. or is that, again, is that a no, language attachment? Absolutely in several ways and a language attachment. So first of mm. all, your, your paternal, your maternal or paternal grandmother? Uh, paternal grandmother. So your paternal yeah. grandmother, she's put into care, and she doesn't reconnect with her mother, or she does. No, okay. they, they were no. As far as well, they were in there until so they were old enough, they and then they were gone. Ultimately, die alone in a sense. Without they lived alone and died alone without the needed maternal care because their mother gives mm. them away. But now that also sets up an attachment wound generationally. So when we mm. feel we'll die alone. We also need to look at um, our worst fear of dying alone means I'll die alone without people around me that I love, without people I care about. Uh, there'll be nobody there. So when we start to flesh it out, it's also attachment. We're really talking mm. about the mother as well. So it's there generationally and it's there in attachment. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 mind blowing stuff for you when we get into it. Is there is there any other examples you can give from your own? Oh, yeah. I mean, as I said, that's that's just a kind of check in there. But from your own oh, yeah, clinical yeah, yeah. experience, we uh, we we talked about the science. Let's what's the reality? Oh, no. of it? How uh, does how does this look like in, yeah, in let me in let practice? me tell a couple um, 
Let me tell a couple stories. I, you know what I think I'm going to do? Mm. I think I'm going to tell the very first case that um, taught me how to look for inherited trauma because mm. it, it, it illustrates this so beautifully. So uh, back about 30 years ago, I was working with many self-injurers, cutters, people who would burn mm. themselves with cigarettes, bang themselves into walls, but, but many cutters. And this one particular young woman, um, I'll, I'll call her Sarah for the sake of the interview. She was 24, mm. she was 24 years old. And the way she cut herself was different than the way the other cutters. She cut. She cut in such an extreme way, Alan, that she would have to be rushed to the hospital. She would cut so deeply that she'd hit a vein or an, or an artery in her arm or in her leg or in her abdomen. And her parents would have to rush her to a hospital. They think she's trying to commit suicide. They lock her up in a psych ward for three or four weeks at a time. And one day she gets out of the psych ward and I'm working with her. And I I just, for myself, needed to know what was going on. So I said, and I'd worked with many other cutters and their cutting was more superficial. What was it about Sarah's cutting? What was it that was trying to be communicated here? So that was the question I was asking myself. Her cutting is telling a story, but what's the story? So one day after she's released, I handed her a pen. And I said, okay, Sarah, pretend this is your knife and put it against your arm and just show me how, what, what happens when you do this. So she goes to put it against her arm and all of a sudden she put, brings it close to her skin. Her eyes glaze over and I can see she's dissociating. So I said, wait a minute, right there, right there. What's that thought? What's that feeling? What's that impulse right there? And she said to me, I deserve to die. I deserve to die. I don't deserve to live. And all of a sudden I said, Sarah, what have you done? You don't deserve to live here. I'm looking at this 24 year old woman whose life has just begun. What have you done, mm. Sarah? Did you accidentally cause an accident? Did you take a life? Did you, did you break up with someone who took their life? She says, no, nothing like that. Nothing. No, I didn't do anything. When we looked at her childhood, this was more confusing because her relationship with her parents was beautiful. Um, she was able to take in their love. She was able to take in their support, feel close to them. Mm. Um, so I said, well, it's got to be attachment. I'm being you know, misled here. So I started to look at the attachment. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, she is a safe, strong, secure bond with her mother. And luckily, I, none, none of that makes sense. None of it made, you know, we're looking from attachments. Like, this makes no sense. That, the attachment was there, secure, loving everything. home. How, where did nothing? None of none that of makes it sense. made sense. None, nothing. And I was flummoxed and I put up my hands and I said, uh, thank God I asked this question. Sarah, tell me about your grandparents. And boom, she drops the bomb. So, you know, what happens is her grandmother was an alcoholic and she's driving the car drunk. And she, grandpa is in the uh, passenger seat. She hits a pole. She lives. But grandpa goes through the glass and gets cut, lacerated on the windshield glass and dies before the ambulance arrives. So all of a sudden I went, oh, no. The whole story is right there. All I could understand at the moment was when she's cutting herself so deeply, something about this is remembering Grand mm. grandpa's story and then when she says i don't deserve to live well whose story is that 
grandmas mm. because she causes the death of somebody, her beloved actually. And she, so mm. it was so interesting. Um, I put two chairs up in the room because I was a student of psychodrama at this time. And <laughs> I had her talk to the chairs and I said, Sarah, mm. Sarah, tell your, tell your grandfather what you do. Tell him how you cut. She goes, grandpa, I cut myself. I said, tell him how deeply you cut. I cut so deeply that I almost bleed to death. And then I said, add the words like you, like you, grandpa. And she said, like you. And all of a sudden she's crying. And I ask her, what's he showing you? What's he telling you? And she says, he doesn't want me to cut. He's telling me that when I go to cut, he'll be there with me, supporting me, and I won't have to cut. And I, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. You can't make that stuff up and you can't. That's, yeah, and I said, yeah. well, look at the other chair and tell your grandmother what you told me. Tell her that you told me that you don't deserve to live. And she said, Grandma, I told Mark I don't deserve to live. And then I said, tell her that, that it was her that didn't deserve to live, not you. And she says, and Grandma, that was your feeling. And she's crying again. And mm. what was so beautiful is she gets another image of her grandparents saying to her um, that they'll be with her as guardians, uh, guardian spirits, whatever you want to call it. And um, she never cut again um, because every time she would, you know, I said, well, go home tonight and go cut and see what happens. So when she would go mm -hmm. to cut, she'd feel instead of this feeling of cutting, she would be surrounded by this loving um, force that, that she felt supported by. So what was interesting, um, I asked her, had her dad ever told her the story? And he had, this were her dad's parents. He hadn't. So what was interesting, I had her go home and bring her dad in. So Sarah's sitting in the office and I'm working with her dad and I do the same thing. The story for him is he was 12 years old when his dad died. So he was rageful at his mother for killing his father. And at the same time, not only is he rageful for killing his mother, or for killing his father, um, she's an alcoholic. She dies at 20. And every time he goes to grieve his father, he can't because he's angry. And the, the anger mm. has blocked the grief. So, um, and he can't heal with his mother because she kills his dad. So it, it's so t tied up and convoluted. But I bring him into the office. I do the same thing. And ultimately, I asked this one question, which opened up my world to the father. I said, what happened behind your mother that made her an alcoholic? And he goes, oh, that's easy. She was put in foster care when she was three. And of course, I said, well, of course, she's an alcoholic. Um, she she <laughs> was missing the dopamine that, that um, was needed from her in her reward motivation circuitry that would come from her mother. And of course she mm. drank. And of course she would feel intolerable loneliness in her body. And the only way to quell it would be with by drinking. And he went, oh, and, and in that moment, he was able to <laughs> love his mother and open his heart to his mother, grieve his father. I was working. Sarah's mm. over there on a couch watching this. And he's grieving his father, grieving his mother, loving his mother. And in that moment, I swear to God, he stands up and he faces Sarah and he says, Sarah, I've got this. You leave this with me. You, you, you couldn't have asked wow. for a better experience, and she never cuts again. But what's so beautiful mm. about this is that it opened my world, understanding that you have to ask about the grandparents and the great-grandparents, and you have to. Yeah, and, yeah. and then 
Um, and it may not be with our mother and father, and it might not be an attachment. So it opened my mm. whole world. And then after that, I found my great teacher, Bert Hellinger, um, and he opened the door the rest of the way. And it was quite, quite a great journey. Yeah, uh, you know, and I, and I think, you know, for people that haven't experienced this in therapy and it's like, you know, you can't, you know, they may be a little bit skeptical, but, you know, I've seen it so often in my own practice, you know, you might use a genogram or something like that for people that don't know. The genogram is kind of a uh, kind of two dimensional family tree where you kind of suppose trace back patterns and um, it's it's never the, the person that comes in. It's they're never the first one with the problem. Exactly. I remember doing genograms with one guy. There was he was gambler. We did a genogram, and I remember I'll never forget because he said as we went through it and gambler, 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 gambler. He's like, I couldn't have been anything else. Beautiful. Another client did a genogram after infidelity in the marriage where the, where his wife had cheated on him, and when he went back, everyone on his side there was infidelity, and he was like, and I think you touch on this a little bit in your book where we you know we can identify with the perpetrator perhaps. He was like, it should be me. It should be me cheating on her. Why is she the one that's cheating on me? Well, for, it's so interesting because when his mom was cheated on by his dad, I'm guessing. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what happens is he loses her attunement because she's stressing. Mm. And that creates a paucity of attunement that he needed. So, you know, there's, he, he, that now creates what I find is these generational traumas create breaks in the attachment. Because it block, yeah. they block the flow of love. And so for this guy, um, his mother left him emotionally. And then he repeats it by his woman leaving him physically. So yeah. um, that's very common. But so yeah. the, cul yeah, the culprit is. is either a generational trauma or an attachment trauma. But they both, mm. um, but often attachment traumas are created, as we just learned in that case, by generational traumas. Yeah. As we talk about, I suppose, as we talk about trauma and we talk about, I suppose, we got to talk about it, Mark, as we talk about this eye-opening work. You know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're 60 and I'm looking at you going, he's got some good genes. Because <laughs> you, know, you, you, you definitely don't look your age. You talk about your early experience with Sarah, you know, a lot of how this started. How did you get into this oh, work to start yeah, it? Yeah. You know, as we talk about the wounded healer, you were literally wounded. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so like like um like other people that I work with, you know, I had symptoms I couldn't explain. You know, here I was in my early 30s and and I um started to lose the vision in my left eye. And I I didn't know what it was. I go to the doctor and I figure it's nothing. And they said, "No, you have a chronic form of a retinopathy and there's no healing for it." non-diabetic non retinopathy called central serous retinopathy and there's no cure for it and the way it was progressing uh, they thought i was going to lose the vision in the other eye um, too and i said well mm. what do we do and they said well all we can tell you is it's stress i said that's not good enough what do i do and they said we <laughs> yeah. don't know and so i was pretty desperate to find help and i went on a search for healing as we say you know our dark night <laughs> of the soul is our open is mm. our open door um, is the doorway that leads us to our um, healing and to mm. be able to help others. Um, so literally my search led me halfway around the globe uh, as far as Indonesia, where I learned, you know, from several wise teachers who taught me some fundamental principles, um, one of which was the importance 
of healing my relationship with my parents. And I, I remember telling them, them? I'm not going to heal my relationship <laughs> with them. And, but it was so funny. Mm. I kept hearing it again and again until finally I said, okay, okay, I'll do it. But before I could heal with them, I had to heal what stood in the way, uh, which was inherited family trauma, but I don't know it at the time. And, and specifically, the anxiety that I had inherited from all my grandparents who were orphaned in some way. Three of them lost their mothers when they were infants, and the fourth lost her father at age one, so ultimately she loses her mother's attunement. So this anxiety, this was the real cause of my, of my vision loss. Uh, so just like my parents had inherited this, I had inherited this mm. feeling of being broken um, from my mother's love. And, um, oh gosh, I remember uh, that was what was passed down in my family. I remember being five or six, running into my mother's room. Every time she'd leave the house, opening up her drawers, burying my face in her clothes, her scarves, her nightgowns, and crying, trying to smell her smell, thinking that the only thing I'm going to have left is her smell. And, you know, that I'd never see her again, which, which mm. was true for my grandparents. Likely, when they lost their mothers, all they had was a garment that was left. So 40 years later, I shared this with my mom. Uh, I said, you know, mom, when you would leave, I would cry into your clothes. She goes, honey, I did that too. Uh, when my mom left the house, I did the same thing. I cried into my mother's clothes. And my sister reading the book said, honey, I did that too. Well, I cried into mom's clothes. And we, you know, it was the family pattern to look for, the, look for some remnant of the mother who's gone. And after healing the broken bond with my mother, which was severely broken, my sight mm. came back, my vision came back. And I didn't even expect it at that point. I was pleasantly surprised. But I'll tell you what hit me. Because <laughs> you were facing blindness. I know. I mean, according to them, you were facing blindness. In your 30s and, well, tough. This, you know, it's not what we can do. Absolutely. And here I, I figured, okay, okay, this is working. This Whatever I did worked. So I felt compelled to share these principles with people. And ultimately, I learned and I, I, I ultimately I developed a method for healing the effects of inherited family trauma. Mm. Did, did your did your parents change, Mark, or was it just you no, that my changed? My parents didn't change, my friend. I changed. Um, you know, one of the wow. things I try to teach people is expect your parents <clears throat> not to change, but try to find. Um, look, some people always come back at me and say, "But what if the parents do really, really terrible things?" And the answer mm. is, well, then you can't heal it. Because uh, don't throw yourself in front of a moving train. It's, it's not wise. Um, but you can heal it in your inner image. You can heal it in your visualizations. You can heal it in your inner landscape. Um, mm -hmm. Because as we know... The internalized parent will say, the, the, the image that you, you can hold that within absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. Uh, because we know that visualization is exactly as potent as reality. So if you visualize healing this relationship, the same regions of the brain, the same neurons activate as, as healing it with in real life or healing it with a photograph. A lot of times what I do is I have people um, who is a lot of rejection of the mother. And, and I understand that because, mm. um, you know, mothers are responsible for this amazing feat of giving their children life and then giving their children life force and helping build mm. and expand their inner core. So a lot of people get angry when they walk around with a 
squeezed core um, or not a mm-hmm. lot of inner expansion or inner well-being. But I often suggest to people that they, you know, put a photograph of the mother up. That's not the mother. It's just a coaster. Mm. But they put a mother, uh, yeah. uh, for example, a photograph of the mother over their left shoulder. And they say these words before they go to bed, because we know that's a most potent time for neuroplastic change, where they might say the words, mom, you know, we don't, we don't do well in life, or I can't call you on the phone. I'm scared to call you. But um, can you hold me while I'm sleeping so we can heal this break in the bond, or so I can learn to feel safe in my body? And then they might say, mm-hmm. teach me how to trust your love, how to receive it, and how to let it in without taking care of you, just receiving. And that is brain-changing. If someone did this every mm, night... Literally. <laughs> if someone did this <laughs> every night, Alan, if they did that every single night, um, they would heal their relationship with their mother in the inner level, and then they would, my guess, is want to take the show on the road. So I always tell people, <laughs> yeah. I always say, you know, do it first inside, and then if, you know, if you're having success, heal with them in real life before they die, because it's very likely... Your mother felt inadequate, insecure as a mother, and, re- and mm. rejected by you because mm. you wouldn't take in her love after there were all these early events. Not you, Alan. I mean, you, so, the listener. Um, you yeah, know what yeah. I'm saying. So, he, yeah. Sorry, Mark, go ahead. No, no, it's just uh, often when we have had a break in the bond, we tighten or bristle mm. uh, when our mother's yeah. around yeah. us. That's one experience. Another experience is taking care of her. Uh, as as a way of having a bond. So, for example, yeah, my mom needs me. You know, she's really fragile. Mm. She's really weak. But but that also is a break in the bond. You're not receiving. You're giving. So ultimately, um, what what I'm teaching here, what I'm talking about here, is if we can learn to receive something from our mom uh, who felt mm. inadequate because we either didn't receive from her. So, and, or we gave to her or we shut down to her. She felt insecure as a mother. She didn't know what, what to do for us. And often she felt rejected. And like any human, hurt people hurt people. I'll say it again, as we know, yeah. hurt people hurt yeah. people. So our mom hurt us back. Um, it's really important if we can heal that in real life. If we don't get to it, no big deal. Heal it in your visualizations, but heal it. So we don't need them to change. No. We don't need them to physically change that in all likelihood, you know, they're probably not going to. But we, we can heal that in ourselves. Um that's you know, I suppose it's dependent on us. It kind of reminded me, Mark, I d I don't know, I know I know you're you're writing poetry as well. It reminded me of the quote from Mark Twain around his father. I'm not sure if you're familiar with um he says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote. That's wonderful. Yeah. The father hasn't <laughs> changed. <laughs> we have. Yeah, yeah. And those those pieces. I, I think like that. So with, with that mark that, you know, they don't have to change. I, I think maybe what that perhaps may lead into a little bit is, I suppose, some hope. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. You know, we don't have to be no. a victim of this. No, no, exactly not. In fact, um, hmm, where do I want to start? 
because I know it feels sounds like I only gave you the bad news that we're all in the same boat and it's sinking. And that, that's not true. There's a lot of good. Ah, well, at least we're all in it together. <laughs> there's a lot of good news out there. You know, uh, okay, so mm. the same researchers that we talked about earlier, um, the ones that traumatize the mice, are now able to reverse the trauma symptoms in mice. And the implications are, are, are vast. Um, so when the traumatized mice are then exposed to positive experiences, and we'll get into this in a minute, it changes the way the DNA expresses. Technically, it inhibits the enzymes that, you know, that cause DNA methylation or histone modifications. Those are two uh, mechanisms of transgenerational epigenetic inheritance. Um, it even can change the way our, our, uh, our DNA expresses. I, I said that, but that's so important. Um, mm. uh, the, the woman who separated the little mice as babies, she would put them in positive, low-stress environments, and their behaviors improve. The trauma symptoms reverse. Um, and those positive changes um, were transmitted to the next generation. So in other words, technically, it changed the way that it changed the DNA methylation, which prevented the symptoms from being translated to the next generation. And then remember that guy who made the mice fear the scent? Mm. Well, he, Cherry Blossom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brian Diaz is his name. He taught them mm. not to fear it by repeatedly exposing them to it and not shocking them. So these, these mice, they no longer felt um, the heightened sensitivity to the scent, and their sperm lost that fearful epigenetic signature that could pass down to future generations. So, yeah, I'm only talking about mice here, but I'm really not. Mice mm. aren't the only ones that yeah. benefit um, from positive experiences. Yeah. It's, it's how you and I heal. It's how we heal from inherited trauma. We've got to calm our brain's stress response. And whether we've inherited that stress response or trauma happened to us in early life, an attachment. Um, so to heal, just to put it in a nutshell, mm. we've got to have positive experiences that can change our brain. And then we need to practice the new feelings and the new sensations um, around these new positive experiences. Because when we do this, we not only create new neurotransmitters, yeah, we do that, but we also stimulate the release of feel-good neurotransmitters like uh, dopamine, uh, GABA, serotonin. Uh, we also stimulate mm. the release of, of feel-good hormones like uh, estrogen, oxytocin, and as I said before, even the very genes involved in the body's stress response can um, begin to function in, in, a, in an improved way. So what are these positive experiences? So let me tell, let me mm. tell you. Um, I'll even use the story of Sarah uh, that I talked about the cutter, because mm. this is what I do with her. Um, Lacerator by the sound of it, Mark, say, rather than cutter. Lacerator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> cutter doesn't seem uh, yeah. extreme right, enough. Exactly. <laughs> You're right. The lacerator, right? So um, these positive experiences that I'm talking about, Alan, they can be receiving comfort or support like Sarah received from her grandparents. So every time she goes to cut, she at that, at that moment, she visualizes the grandparents next to her, mm. feels this warmth in her body. We, we worked with um, embracing the physical sensations of her grandparents next to her. So when they're next to you, what happens there? Oh, I can feel this tingling. I can feel this pulsing in my solar plexus. So she's able actually to get into her core. Um, what, other, what other positive experiences? Do, um, 
we okay another positive experience can be feelings of compassion for our parents for us what we went through mm. for what our grandparents went through um, compassion for others it, it can be a gratitude practice because we know every time we practice gratitude we're uh, stimulating different parts of our brain the we're actually feeding the prefrontal cortex and this helps us reframe the stress response um positive experiences ah a generosity practice um a loving kindness practice practicing mindfulness mm. we, ultimately anything that allows us to feel strength and peace and joy inside because these types of experiences as i as i said they feed the prefrontal cortex and can help us restrain re, reframe the stress response so it is a chance to downregulate um ultimately the idea is to pull energy away to pull traction away from the limbic loop from the limbic system mm. from the trauma brain from our overactive amygdala that's now grown twice its normal size in us traumatized people and start mm. to bring engagement energy to different areas of the brain specifically the prefrontal cortex where we can integrate these new experiences and our brains can change I mean, we, we know yeah. from mindfulness studies, uh, the practicing mindfulness actually shrinks the amygdala and, and mm. thickens the prefrontal cortex. Um, you know, basically, to put it in a nutshell, I'll, I'll even take it down even deeper. We need to practice <laughs> being with our body, being first with mm. the uncomfortable sensations in our body and not running away from them, but being able to um, tolerate what's yeah. uncomfortable until we can reach beneath them to the sensations that are always happening, even if we don't know this because uh, our body's too mm. tight, but sensations that are life-giving because that's what the body is. It's full of life-giving sensations like pulsing, tingling, softening, expanding, blood flowing, warmth, waves of energy, currents, you know, and then to be able to hold these sensations, you know, waves of energy, mm. waves, you know, the spiral motion in my body, um, particles expanding, to be able to hold these sensations for a minute and do that six times a day. That can be enough to change our brain, to calm our stress response. Six minutes. One minute. Six, six minutes. Yes. Six times That's a day. Right. Wow. 360 seconds, Alan. If we if if we can take 360 <laughs> seconds, like 60 seconds, just go with pulsing. Pulsing. What are you doing right now, Mark? Oh, I'm just feeling the pulsing in my solar plexus. And I notice there's this infinity, this figure eight movement in my body. And I'm kind of just dancing with it. And what else do you feel, Mark? Oh, I can feel warmth in my belly. Um, I can hear my heartbeat. Uh, oh, there's like this feeling of particles swirling. When we can do that, we're in. We've unlocked the door. We're, we're beneath. <laughs> we're beneath the intolerable feelings of ah, I'm tight. I'm frozen. Mm. I'm numb. Mm, I don't want to mm. be in my body. The idea. Well, you have to. So the only thing you have to do. You don't have yeah. to see your parents in real life. You can do it through visualization, but you have to get in your body. Yeah, Mark, myself, and every other therapist in the world is going. Shut up, Mark! You're going to do his own job. <laughs> you just told people all you need is six minutes a day, <laughs> and they still need us. 
<laughs> yeah, still need yeah. It because you know, for us, it's <laughs> easy, too. Alan. We could say yes, yeah, six six minutes a day. We just uh, attune mm. with our core. But a lot of you know, a lot of people have the, that stress response in the way. So you said it in the very beginning: the amygdala is firing, what's twice the normal mm. size, and it's constantly saying, "Shut down, danger, threat." Uh oh, don't move. Go into fight. Go into flight. Freeze. You know, so, and these are unconscious reactions. So when our yeah. amygdala is firing a strategy, an early defense, a strategy, what I'll go back to the beginning of my talk today with you, an early fragmentation where some early part of us thought it was best to tighten or numb out to survive. Well, okay, yeah, back then we needed to do that, but now we have choices. We can be as they say, as we all therapists like to say, um, we can be responsive rather than reactive. Reactive, yeah, yeah. Just a couple, couple of questions just before we finish, Mark. I'm conscious yeah. of the time and letting you yeah. get on with the rest of your day. Peter, our, my previous host and producer who works on it, he wanted to ask around COVID. Are we going to be looking at stuff down the line from the experiences that people have had? You know, over the last year and a half, you know, that, that, the anxiety provoking, the trauma of, of that. Do you think we will see some of that? Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer your question exactly, but in a different way. What is COVID mm-hmm. really bringing up for us? We're forced into isolation. We're forced into financial difficulty. We're forced into a fear that we're not connecting. I need to connect. If I don't connect, my friends will forget me. What we're really bringing mm. up are attachment wounds. What yeah. we're really bring, what COVID's really doing is stirring the pot. It's boiling the container that we all share. And in that boiling, our own personal traumas are beginning to rise. So in the isolation, the fear of loss, the fear of money, the fear of disconnection, what's happening to us mm. is we're being forced to heal ourselves. So the positive side of this pandemic is it's forced us inward. Um, now, yeah, yeah I, I think I've, I've said that throughout is that the, the issue with this is everyone that may have, you know, worked themselves to the bone that, you know, went to the gym almost 24 seven. Now they can't. And now they're forced to sit with themselves. And all this unresolved stuff is going, hey, as you said, our brain wants it sorted. Hey, remember me? <laughs> yeah, we, we got to sort this shit out here. You nailed it. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and yeah. So if the question is, is will we see um, generational trauma as a result of the pandemic? Well, it depends what trauma the pandemic has created in us in and of itself. Did we lose our money? Yeah. Did we lose our home? Were we forced to be homeless? Did one of our parents die? Did our mother lose her father or mother while we were an infant, which created a break in attachment? Mm. So in the answer to your question, yes. And it also is doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say my last question for after this next piece, Mark, because this isn't so much a question. Well, it is, but it feeds into you. How do people... Before we came on air, you were talking about, and I'm blaming you because you wanted to stop traveling just before COVID hit. <laughs> that was convenient yeah, for you. Guys. You're not traveling now to teach. You know, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see you in workshops or conferences okay, so around the world. You, but you're doing a lot of stuff remotely. Yeah, yeah. I traveled for 20, 30 years uh, 
flying to most countries and burning myself out. Um, so now mm. uh, what I'm finding and what we're all finding with Zoom is it's amazing. You can do trauma work on Zoom. You can actually do somatic trauma work right on Zoom. So I work with people online, but more importantly, um, I teach online too. And I just completed a really good training. I love it. I put the kitchen sink in there and um, it's on my <laughs> website. It's streamable. Um, if you're a clinician wanting to incorporate attachment or generational trauma into your work, um, consider it. Um, call Carrie. Your website is, your website is Mark? Mark com. And Carrie's there to mm. answer any questions. And um, yeah, you can work with any of us. You know, also, is it just is it just for clinicians, Mark, no, actually, or you know, can anyone yeah. just interested in, in healing their own generational trauma? Or is it open yes, to it them? Is actually, and I'll tell you why. I make sure the clinicians experience it on themselves with themselves before they can teach it. So, going through the training, mm. you'll deepen your own uh, healing process. So, yes, there are some people. Yeah. So it's very experiential, very is it for anyone absolutely. that's on it? And so I Fantastic. ask the questions and lead people through and everybody does their genogram and, um, and, mm. and we do the somatic work that goes with it. And I lead people through this somatic work on the, in, uh, on, on, in the teaching. So yes, you don't have to be a clinician. You can just have an interest in self-care or depth psychology. Yeah, yeah. And outside of that, of course, people can pick up the book. It didn't start with you. How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. Thank you for that. Yeah, I really like the book. I think it does. I think oh, it, <laughs> a lot of people like it because you've won awards for it, Mark. Well, I, I like what I did with it. See, I, I, in the beginning, what I did is I said, I want to write a manual for clinicians. And then I said, but I want mm. an airport book that somebody could pick up in an airport and go from zero to, to 100 just by mm. not knowing anything. And I did both. I don't know yeah. how I did both, but somehow I did yeah. both uh, in that book. So yeah, get the book too. I mean, do the, pra do yeah, the practices in there. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, I didn't because, but I have every page dog-eared <laughs> right. that I have to go back to because I was like, no, this needs the time that I need to, I, I, I need to give it. But as a, look, as a therapist, and I'm always quite open on the, on the podcast about my own therapy, I still continue therapy. I wouldn't sell a product I don't use. You know, I'm reading the book and I'm having that epiphany of, bang, this, you know, this, this, what's your greatest fear? Oh, this, this is, this is going back to my oh, grandma. And, and, bec and because is, your grandmother is, is sent into foster care or sent into an orphanage mm, when she's young, mm, now your father can't get, the mothering that he needed because she loses her mother and she's defended against mm. um, the, her mother who sent her away. Yeah. And now your father's so, not going to get what he needs. And then that is heritable, that epigenetic expression. Oh, I, I can assure you, Mark, he didn't give me what I needed either. <laughs> but also this, what's, what's heritable is his gene expression. So you, you got mm. something else. You know, from him as well. Yeah. You got the gene expression. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah. in there too. Yeah. That was straight talking inherited family trauma, a.k.a. generational trauma, with the man that literally wrote the book on it, Mr. Mark Willin. Absolutely blessed. Normally we say, if you like what you heard, give us a review. How could you not like what you just heard there? 
Mark, just with those 30 years of experience, is a fantastic guest. We were absolutely blessed to have him share his knowledge and give us all of the information that we need to be aware of around our own trauma and what we can do about it. All is not lost. But if you did really like what you heard, please give us a five-star rating. If you feel it's worthy of it on iTunes, you can also check us out on Spotify. Check us out on all your social media. Hit a retweet on Twitter if you see any of our posts. All of that stuff has a huge impact on our listenership and who can see what we do. And we know from previous episodes, giving that share, giving that like, giving a retweet, helps someone else see that on their timeline and check it out and go, hmm, what's this? We know people are alive because of the podcast, so we are really thankful whenever you can do that for us. If you would like to get us on any of the social media, get us on Twitter, S-T-R-A Talking Pod. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, at Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast. Big shout out to Fiona Bryan who hooked us up with the music, with the top and the tails that you're going to hear now in a couple of minutes. Mr. Featured on Love Island Featurely, Mr. Full-Time Producer. Great guy. Get him while you can because I'm guessing if this is the way he's taken off now, you're not going to be able to get him. So get in on the ground floor, folks. Now, as we always do to end each podcast, we like to leave the final word with our guest. You know something insightful is going to be coming up for Mark now. So until next week's folks, look after yourself and look after each other. Mark, just one final thing. What we what we usually do with every guest that comes on, we ask, and this doesn't have to be around the book or around generational trauma or anything like that. What we usually do is we like to ask any of our guests to maybe some share some words of wisdom, some motto, some life lesson learned along their way. In you know, as I said, in any kind of guise, doesn't necessarily have to be around that. Is there anything you would like to impart to to all of the listeners around the world? Oh boy, you give me such an open mm. field for that. Um, I'll go over it. <laughs> well, I, I will say, when, you, when you got the man that wrote the book, I, I will say you take this. it. <laughs> you know, let our children, mm. if we have children, if we're going to have children, let them know what happened to us and ha- what happened to our parents and as far back as we can, because we have this fantasy, this idea that we're actually saving them or protecting them yes, from protecting, protecting them, them yeah. immunizing them from trauma mm. if we don't tell them and mm. they're walking around with this frozen feeling of why am i like this why am i like this so uh please tell your kids um uh what happened in the family you know ch- i like to say this children express and we're these children children express what's mm. unresolved behind the parents what's unresolved between the parents but they also mm. mirror <laughs> to the parents what the parents felt at their age but have long ago suppressed. So if your little son or daughter is being clingy and saying, mommy, daddy, don't leave me, don't leave me, I need, often they're showing you, mommy, daddy, this is what you felt, but you pushed away. This is what you felt. So I'm a big believer in talking about the traumas. Um, You know, then we, uh, what we don't talk about, what we don't heal, what we don't, what we push away continues to haunt us but when we explore mm-hmm. it we don't have to repeat it we can we really can break the cycle um now i i always say you know biological inheritance that's a reality but it doesn't have to be our destiny mm.